Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. You've seen the school buses and other transport with the names EastCon on the side. But what exactly is EastCon? We find out as we talk to EastCon's new executive director, Eric Pretoulis. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Their school buses and other transport can be seen up and down our roads and highways in eastern Connecticut. But have you ever wondered what EastCon actually is? You might be surprised to learn it's more than just the buses we all see. The organisation is also responsible for several schools in our region and a multitude of educational and human services programmes and has been in existence for just over 40 years now. I sat down recently with Eric Pretoulis, the new executive director of EastCon, to get the lowdown on him and what his organisation is all about. So tell us a little bit about who is Eric Pretoulis. So I am an educator for 23 years. I have worked in a variety of settings, including the Department of Corrections. worked in middle schools, primarily at Region 8, which is RAM, Regional System for Hebron, Andover, and Marlboro, as a school psychologist, the middle school and high school level. And I had an opportunity to be appointed as their director of special education or pupil services. And so I spent five years in the district as the, the director, got to oversee all of their special education services. During that time, I had started to utilize EastCon more for some of their services and supports. And an opportunity came up where they were looking for a full-time administrator to, one of, to run one of their schools that focuses on working with students with social, emotional, behavioral, and trauma-related issues that impact their learning. And it's a population I've always been kind of drawn to. And so I took that opportunity, and I spent a couple years running that program down in Columbia, EBC. Through another kind of change of staffing, had an opportunity to become the director of pupil services here at EastCon. And so I spent three years doing that. And just prior to the start of the pandemic, I had another opportunity to shift gears, take the same kind of skill set, and work in a larger environment. So another RESC, uh, Regional Educational Service Center, down in the greater New Haven area. And so I moved down there to kind of see, do I have what it takes? I've done it here in this community for for a while. I know people, I know the players, and I wanted to see if I could kind of take that same skill set and apply that in a larger environment and opportunity to work with more urban districts. So I did get to do that opportunity, and I was there for three years. Again, most of that ended up being two and a half of it was during the pandemic. So kind of hard to say what, what happened during those years and, and judge that. But, but EastCon's in your blood because they is. dragged you back, kicking and screaming. I don't I, actually think it was kicking and screaming. I'm just saying that because you're now, of course, the top dog here at EastCon. What brought you back? I ran back. This was a, an opportunity that had always been something that I had 
strive towards. I thought this would be a great opportunity. And because of the job and what you get to do, unique in the educational world because of what we do. And so when this opportunity came, there was no way it was going to hesitate to apply. And so thankfully, back here at ESCON as the executive director, and what I really am excited about is the opportunity to enhance the collaborations. So when you think about an educational service agency, our organization, our beginning was about creating efficiencies to support our districts. So we have 34 member towns in the EastCon region, and we're a region which resources are much more limited. Spending that time down in the greater New Haven area where people talk about limited resources, it's such a contrast to here. They don't know what that means in, in the context of limited resources, but there are resources. Maybe there just aren't enough. When you come up into this region, there's vast areas where there are no organized mental health services outside of the school system. And we're seeing the needs of kids continue to increase. Even though populations are declining, the special education needs are increasing. And in some cases, the severity is intensifying. And that's hard for small districts to navigate and know what to do or to swiftly change and and add services. And that's where I think a RESC is crucial. Let's talk a little bit about EastCon, the organization, because people see it here in Eastern Connecticut. They see the name on the side of school buses and vehicles. Give us the 60-second elevator pitch, because there's probably still plenty of people out there, despite all of your great efforts, and there is no lack of effort by EastCon to let people know who they are. But what is ESCON? Yeah, I have family members who are still like, so what is it you do? And I'll add different details to it every time I tell them something else that we do. So our primary purpose is to serve the districts in our region and to enhance the educational services that they provide. So that runs from what you do see, the vehicles everywhere. We have a large transportation division. We provide special education transport for students right up to the big buses that we now run as the primary transportation agency for school districts. We operate several schools. We have two magnet schools that are focused on, one is focused on the arts, downtown Willimantic. The other is a middle college experience on the campus of QV. We have special education schools kind of scattered throughout the region that focus on specific needs of students who require a more specialized setting. We have our early childhood where we are taking really from prenatal right through school age where we're providing those early intervention services and supports for students and families, whether in home or in programs that we serve. And then cap it off we have our adult and community learning. So it's not the best phrase, but they talk about kind of the cradle to grave. So we really do cover all age spans of learners and really trying to focus on how can we, on that individual level, enhance their lives. I'm looking at various materials from yourself and from my own research. I mean, just looking at it is incredible. I mean, 127 programs and services. I'm not going to go through all of these because there is so much there. It just is mind-boggling. You said earlier, 33 communities that you serve here in Eastern Connecticut and, you know, 38,000, nearly 40,000 pre-12K students served. It's an enormous job. Why did you want it? Because... It is still not enough. When I think of what the region needs and that opportunity to... So you think about our our school systems. You know, we have K-6 or K districts who have 100 kids, and yet they're expected to deliver on all of the same expectations that a district that has 5,000 kids and comprehensive high schools. That's not... It's not possible in some cases, and and resources continue to be scarce. You know, people are living with some COVID dollars and ESSER money, things like that, but that's a cliff that we're all headed towards. The expectations aren't lessening, and the needs of our kids are increasing. And to be in that space where we get to support districts enhancing their work, 
and really changing people's lives. And we do. We think about it as one person at a time, that we get that opportunity to, to change their life and for the better. And so that's incredibly exhilarating to me. One of the things I did hear, and hopefully I've got this right, is that when you took on the mantle of executive director, I believe in July yeah, of this July year, 18. you then went on a bit of a tour to basically have one-on-ones with organizations. Why did you decide to do that? Because it's all about relationships, right? Our work, one of the things that I have always appreciated most about EastCon is it was about relationships, meeting people where they are as they are, kind of lens of equity. And so for me to come back, there was a sense that both due to kind of how the agency had been running and as well as the pandemic, we all have been more disconnected from one another as a result of that, you know, from social distancing and fear of sickness and, and everything to just having to get by. People feel more disconnected. And so for me to come back, they need to see me in a different role, first of all. I'm not the director of people's services any longer. We have a great person who does that, Amy Margiloni. But they needed to see me in this new role and have an opportunity to build a relationship with me. I think of our space as being a consultant. And the way I frame that is uh, the consultant is that person you call. They're on your short list of people when things have gone not the way that you planned. And I want us to be in that space so that our districts, our superintendents, and even in our towns will have EastCon on that short list of people to call when they're looking for support. We can't do everything. We can't be the solution to every problem, but we want to be in the conversation. What was their reaction when you turned up? Because it's not every executive director of, you know, a big organization that takes the trouble. And, you know, and I think we can be honest here, there aren't that many executive directors who would do that. It would be something that would fall to, you know, other members of their team. What was their reaction when you came knocking on the door? Surprised. (laughs) I think by the end of the conversations, they've been appreciative of the time and to have that conversation. I'm getting to message with them in a more direct way, kind of where we've been, where I think we're headed, and to hear from them what some of their challenges or concerns are. Because it is our job is to help them in whatever they're they're working on or what they're trying to elevate in their own district. It's been a pleasant surprise, I would say, but definitely shocked. And then they say, you're going to every town? Yeah, every town. How long did that take you? I'm still working on it. So, uh, so when you think about the scope of the job, I had I had hoped to be done with it by now, but with what I have on my schedule and then their schedules as well. So we're about 26 visits have been conducted already, so I've got a few more to go. I'm reading some of the EastCon literature here, and there's a very nice little quote in this article saying that during your interview and discussions with EastCon's board of directors, two words, renaissance and collaboration, kept ringing in your ears. Why those two words? The renaissance or renewal is what I... You know, I never stopped kind of looking at EastCon. When I, when I left from here and I went down to work at ACES, I stayed in contact with several people, heard about things, you know, and everyone was sort of struggling through the, the last couple of years. And what I know is a number of people stayed through this time in a challenging time and were ready to have that renewal, ready for the next phase of, of the agency. And that's what I'm hoping to bring, you know, some energy and enthusiasm for that idea that it's, we have to, the pandemic taught us, we have to look at our work in a different way. It's not clear what that different way is. And we changed at a rate in, faster than we ever thought we could. And in some cases, faster than we ever thought we should. But the world of work is never going to be the same again. And so that's part of that renaissance. That renewal is about How do we set our course for the next three to five years now knowing what we know? And really part of that is that preparedness because there is there will always be some threat or some challenge that we have to endure. So I think that's the renewal part. 
and the collaboration, because I know that's what ESCON has excelled at over time, is collaboration and building those partnerships and relationships. So right now I see that not only with our districts, but also with our towns and with other agencies and other parts of the community in the northeastern Connecticut, because we will do better if we can work together. I just want to quickly touch on the resources thing that you've mentioned, and and it's obviously multifaceted, but one of the things that is curious to me, and perhaps we will get the answer from you on this as to whether or not you agree or disagree, is, is infrastructure. I mean, you know, here in the northeast of the state and the eastern part of the state, sometimes there is a lack of certain infrastructure. And the infrastructure mm-hmm. I'm thinking about is, is IT and broadband and yeah. the access to the internet. We do have it. It's not that we don't, but we don't necessarily have it as much as you, you know, when you were saying when you were working down into like the New Haven and the Fairfield yeah. areas. Is that one of the big drivers as well because of the way that we have all changed, not necessarily just work, but also with select education? It certainly has changed. I think we we need to find that balance around doing everything on Zoom was a necessary way of doing business, but it leaves a lot flat. And I, we had a RESC alliance. So the six RESCs in the state of Connecticut had pooled together resources and our staff worked together. And in October, they held an Igniting Change conference. We had over 350 people from across the state and outside of Connecticut attend that conference. It's the first time I had been back in a large group session And it was so exhilarating, right? And it's those conversations that happen in between the space of a session. So we can't forget that the the importance of the face-to-face. And we have that tool, and we need to continue to use it because it serves a purpose, and it creates access. To the question about accessibility in the region, I think that's a – I don't have a good handle on exactly how – where those limitations are – You know, there was some funding that had come through during the pandemic to help support that. One of those partnerships that we're looking at is the the NECOG, Northeast Connecticut Council of Government, if I have that correct. And, you know, there's some opportunities there where we can continue to look at those partnerships that are going to enhance the region. So we've talked, had some initial conversations about even looking at transportation, right? So the virtual part can solve some problems, but it isn't going to solve everything. And we certainly... I think as educators believe it's the technology is an enhancement to learning, but it shouldn't be a replacement to that direct instruction and face-to-face. I think we, we see kids who've struggled with some of the social skills. I think there's, you know, we'll see research in the next couple of years that's going to point to some of the challenge that came out of that for not having as much opportunity to interact face-to-face. I just want to clarify something for the listeners yeah. as well. You've used the word RESC a few times, Regional Educational Service Centre, of which you are one of six, correct? correct. Okay, just correct. wanted, just in case people are listening to that and they're thinking, oh, we said RESC and what does that mean? So talk to us a little bit more about some of the challenges that you see ahead, you know, for EastCon as we hopefully continue to step out of the shadow of COVID. It still isn't gone. We may have to live with it for a while. So give us a bit of a sense of some of the things that, you know, have come up on your radar and that, you know, are becoming some of the priorities. So I would think mental health services and support is the thing that comes to mind the fastest and the quickest. And it comes back to the availability of resources. It may be a place where some of the digital world is a solution. You know, you can access some of those things online. It's still not the best way to deliver, you know, mental health services or behavioral counseling. So when we look at that in the region, 
there are providers, you have a large geographic area. And so where those providers are, it's helpful and and it's a huge resource for those families, but it's really difficult, you know, and transportation is not something that gets you from one corner to the other in this region. So if you don't have a car or reliable transportation or ability to get there, those things fall off really quickly, you know, and particularly if a family system is stressed and one or more members of the family are struggling with mental health needs, everyone's doing their best and doing everything they can. And now you add one more thing, which is how do I get there? It's really easy for those things to fall off. So we've been in a lot of conversation in the community about what role do schools play? How do we support that? And again, looking at some resources that we think we can be a crucial part of helping develop collaborations and getting some more services in the community. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that, like I said, it is a lovely part of the state, but transportation isn't always one of the things that is the most prolific here. I mean, again, if you go to central and western Connecticut, there is more in the way of transportation, things like rail services as well, which can benefit you. Of course, we don't have that here in eastern Connecticut. And it's not something I think that people necessarily necessarily think about either is it about the transportation thing but it is as you say it's so important no it's crucial to you know even from a work environment we're all struggling right now with finding staff in all of our programs i think in the statewide survey recently said 87 percent of manufacturing businesses were short-staffed certainly in the educational world we find that even with our transportation you know we have plenty of uh, positions that we would love to fill and certainly encourage people to to apply it's an exciting place to work so you know kind of make that that extra pitch there because it's we love to talk about what we do and and people Come to work at EastCon, stay, because they find family, they find connection. But those are the types of resources and supports that we can be positioned to help support in the region. So while we're transporting students during the day for a school time, we have a chunk of time that we, may, we can look at some partnerships where we might be able to help getting people to and from appointments or to and from work, because all of that elevates the community. Right. When we're seeing aspects of our communities that, that can't access work and resources, it weighs everything down. We've been talking, obviously, a lot about the younger members of society, of which is a huge part of what EastCon does. But, of course, you also do. You serve adults and, and adult learning as well. Talk to us a little bit about that, because, obviously, that has different challenges. It does. It does. And the excitement that you see on some of our members who attend our adult you know, our GED programs, our adult programs, the skill sets that they can develop, you know, that workforce kind of development, workforce pipeline, big part of what our programs are focused on. And when you see them coming out of those programs, the excitement of their learning and how that's going to enhance their lives, it's, uh, it's pretty exhilarating to see that. And also, of course, you serve, as we said, um, many, many parts of society, but also parts of society that, you know, have educational challenges, educational differences. So it's a real wide remit that you've got to fulfill here. It is. And it develops organically. You know, I think when we look at programs that we may have tried or started If we were kind of trying to shoehorn it in and saying, we see the need, we'll tell you what you need, those often aren't going to be as effective as when it comes out of that conversation, which, you know, usually starts with, I have a student who needs, I have a program that is struggling, I have, you know, there's there's an identified need. That first set of conversations is really important to dig in deep and help people understand what they may be asking for or what they think they need, our job is to help 
really cons- consolidate that down into really identifying what it what it is. Because sometimes the thing on the surface that you see that's most intrusive or disruptive or kind of obvious as the challenge may not be the place that we actually need to begin. But through those conversations and through collaborations, we end up with a better outcome. We end up with a better program or service because it kind of grows organically versus we saw the need and we just inserted program B into the community if nobody's really bought into it. So that's one of the challenges of how do we grow? How do we expand? It's collaborations. It's it's being at those tables and having those conversations to really know what people need and helping fine-tune that a little bit. Of course, in the world that we live in, diversity and equity are two words which we often hear. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are very important because they relate to so many things, and in particular parts of, you know, our communities which are often forgotten or left behind. How important is is all of that for ESCOM? It's It's at the core of what we do. In terms of that idea of equity is really meeting people where they are as they are. And and so sometimes that conversation around diversity, equity, inclusion, I always add accessibility because it's that I think is even more relevant in our region. So you can have great programs and services and supports that will enhance that. But if people aren't able to get to it, then then how great is it or, or how beneficial is it in a, in a larger scale? And I think it brings us back to that commonality more than anything else that we all have challenges. We all have things that we struggle with, and we're going to all do a little bit better if we work together and recognize and honor the differences, but recognize the similarities. So it really is, I think, fundamental to what ESCON does is we look at individuals first and, and then figure out how do we help them and meet them where they are as they are. Well, Eric Petrulis, the new executive director of ESCON, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you for giving us some insight into your thoughts as to where ESCON goes, how that will be happening. And we look forward to hopefully speaking to you, say, in about a year's time and, uh, and see where everything is, is in a year's time because this world is constantly changing. So one never knows you know, what's actually going to happen. But thank you for joining us on the podcast. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Absolutely. Thank you as well. And if you want to find out more about the services of Eastcon, then visit their website at eastcon, E-A-S-T-C-O-N-N dot O-R-G. Got deer problems? Let us help. With Green Valley Tree LLC's Deer Preventive Spray, guaranteed to keep deer away from your precious plants, bushes and trees for up to six months with cold weather on its way deer will be looking for sources of food don't let your front and backyards become their pantry call green valley tree today at 860-234-4041 or visit us at greenvalleytreeworks.com time now for a look at other stories making the headlines this week Registered nurses at Wyndham Hospital have voted to approve a new contract agreement with their employer, Hartford Healthcare, two months following a two-day strike. Andrea Riley is a registered nurse and president of the Wyndham Federation of Professional Nurses and said the road to get an agreement with their employer has been a long time in coming. It was 365 days right down to the day that it took us to uh, finally ratify and come up with a tentative agreement with the hospital for a contract that will take us through till December 31st, 2025. Riley said sticking points to getting an agreement was the removal of mandatory overtime, which forced nurses to stay on after their 
shift ended and a reduction in health insurance premiums, allowing them to pay at the same rate as non-medical professionals for their health care. Hospitals and Harvard's not the only one is, you know, they like to mandate nurses pass their shifts to stay. And that just leads to uh, fatigue, error. It's not in the best interest of the patient or the nurse. The new contract takes immediate effect and in a statement, Hartford Healthcare said that Wyndham Hospital is pleased that union members have ratified a new four-year contract and they are eager to move ahead and continue their mission to serve the community. Although the nurses have reached an agreement, other non-nursing and technical staff at Wyndham Hospital and their union are still in negotiations for new contracts for their members. U.S. Senator Richard Blumenthal and local officials in Wyndham announced a half a million dollar federal grant for the Wyndham No Freeze project recently. The grant was awarded through the Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD, and will allow the nonprofit to increase capacity and services they provide to homeless individuals. Blumenthal said the money awarded is just the start. $500,000 is only a beginning. I think we need much more to support this organization and others like it. But I'm very proud to be here today to announce this $500,000, which will be a material boost to one of the most worthwhile organizations I know. Avery Lenhart is the executive director of the project and says after almost two decades, they too finally have a permanent home in the town. For nearly 20 years, we have rented spaces in several different places in town to do our work. And while we have managed to operate in various locations, we are now very grateful to have our own property where we can design and renovate our new home to suit the needs of our guests, staff and volunteers. Wyndham No Freeze has been providing temporary shelter and services to individuals suffering homelessness for almost 20 years. And in that time, the project has helped over 2,600 individuals stay warm during cold weather and assist them in finding new homes and providing mental health support. As its 125th anniversary nears, the Connecticut Audubon Society has released a report detailing the effectiveness of conservation efforts in the state. Edwin J. Vieira from the Connecticut News Service reports. The 2022 State of the Birds report finds bald eagles making a strong comeback and nesting in numerous towns across the state. It also details how ospreys are nesting, thanks to nesting boxes placed throughout the state. Tom Anderson with the Connecticut Audubon Society says there have been some challenges with keeping these species around, and one is simply a matter of habitat. Shorebirds like the American oyster catchers, when they're in Connecticut, they rely exclusively on beaches. And there just aren't all that many beaches in Connecticut. The Connecticut shoreline is not that long. Not all of it is beach. And most of it is used by people for recreation. He adds these birds, which are vulnerable to disturbances, must learn how to successfully coexist alongside humans in these landscapes. He hopes the few undisturbed places where birds are thriving remain that way. I'm Edwin J. Vieira. December 1st marked World AIDS Day as we remembered those lost to the HIV-AIDS pandemic over the last 40 years. At Connecticut College in New London, over 70 panels from the AIDS memorial quilt were on display, many of them with names from local people in the state who lost their battle to the disease. Virginia Anderson is an associate professor of theatre at Connecticut College and organiser of the quilt exhibition and says it sends a powerful message. It's here to remember, to acknowledge today, to 
to try to stop the pain and the ongoing silence. People are so convinced that AIDS is a thing of the past, or maybe they're not even aware of that past, as I find with my students. And Anderson says students today are just learning about the history behind the quilt and how people with AIDS were treated. They are angry that there's this entire history that they're one generation removed from that involved people speaking so coldly, turning a, a shoulder when people needed help that would just just have no l- humanity at all. The AIDS Memorial Quilt is composed of more than 48,000 panels dedicated to more than 94,000 individuals and is the premier symbol of the AIDS pandemic and the largest ongoing piece of community folk art in the world. And if you're in the market for a rescue pet, perhaps to give us a gift during the holiday season, consider a goat. Attorney General William Tong announced recently the state has secured custody of upwards of 90 goats that were seized from a Reading residence in March of last year and is now accepting applications for their adoption. After receiving over 120 complaints regarding roaming goats and violations of local ordinances since 2007, Reading police were called to investigate a car accident in which one of the goats was roaming in the road and was struck by a car in April 2020. The owner of the goats was arrested and charged with animal cruelty. If you're interested in adopting any of the goats, contact the Department of Agriculture at agr.adoptions at ct.gov for more information. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at Connecticut-East.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East this week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East this week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott Smith. Thank you for listening.